Hey, Pluckies. I wanted to give a little shout out to my production team here on the Plucking Up podcast, Human Group Media. In addition to being a social impact company themselves, they are behind some webby winning and chart topping podcasts that I think you all might like. They produce shows like That Feminist Fire, a narrative podcast about gender and justice. Inclusion Begins With Me, Conversations That Matter, and Forces for Good, which talks about how businesses can help solve some of the most pressing social and environmental issues of our time. Their network of shows cover mental health and climate change and human rights and so much more. You can head over to Human Group Media or just type in Human Group Media on your favorite podcast app to start listening. You're listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck-ups. Our guests share their sometimes never-before-told mistakes, rejections, wrong turns, and the more difficult seasons of their lives and careers. But they're also sharing with us how they moved on and up and through to keep creating and inspiring others to build lives of purpose, passion, and impact. I'm your lucky and plucky host, Liz Bohannon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. For this episode, I would like for you, if you are in a place where you can do this, you can take a cue from our guest today. When I turned on the camera and the mics for this conversation, I was a little bit surprised because he is maybe not a movie star, but a silver, it's a silver screen mean of the television. He's a TV star. Okay. He's a TV star. He's Hollywoody. And he was just seated, cross-legged. I think maybe he had like a cozy blanket on and it was just so unassuming and connecting and cozy. And I'm really grateful for the conversation that ensued. And I'm grateful to get to share it with you. You know, on the Plucking Up podcast, we place a high value on sharing stories around failure, around making mistakes, around these harder, more challenging seasons, normalizing these struggles, and then also just sharing stories about how so often our next right thing kind of emerges from these really painful moments in our story. And Adrian's story, I think that was a spoiler alert. I don't think I've told you who the guest is yet. Okay, so spoiler alert. The guest is Adrian Grenier. Adrian is an actor and he's a producer and he's probably most widely known for his role in the HBO television series Entourage. And Adrian's whole story is really kind of this really interesting path of why acting, what led him there in the first place, what needs and desires he was trying to have met. And then really his life took a huge turn in a moment of like, whoa, didn't see that coming, rug pulled out from underneath of him, really painful rejection and some relational strife that really kind of brought him to a bit of a rock bottom. And lots of really interesting things emerged from that season. So it was just great to talk to Adrian about kind of this next chapter of his purpose. He is really on a mission and super passionate about environmental activism, including the work that he does on his YouTube channel, which is called Earth 
speed, which is kind of one of the next things that he's working on. One last note before we dive in. This show does have some language that's a little on the salty side. So if you've got little kiddos around or just very proper ears that do not wish to be exposed, just consider this your warning. So that being said, if you can, you know, just sit cross-legged or get real comfy, get your favorite cozy blanket, maybe brew a cup of coffee or a warm cup of tea. And I'm excited for you to join me in this conversation with Adrian Grenier. Adrian, thank you so much for being here on the Plucking Up podcast. Very, very excited to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, Do you like my new backdrop? I decided I was going to sit on the floor. It kind of looks like you're sitting on the floor. I'm not. I'm sitting up in a professional. So are you like sitting cross-legged on the ground right now? I am. I am. You know, um, everybody's always like at their desk like these, you know, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be in, you know, Buddha pose today. Wow. I really like that vibe that you're setting for us. I do have on some fuzzy socks. So I feel like I am kind of meeting you in the like grounded, cozy space yeah. that we're creating right now. So that'll be my offering. Yeah. Yeah. If if we if we really get cozy, I could start the fire. Go, oh, wow. You just really one-upped. What's that Danish word? Higgy or Higge? The Higgy factor of coziness. I really. I, that, I like that. No. Okay. I was thinking more fireside chat. Oh, okay. We can go for that too. We just need um, my producers to add in a little bit of like vintage radio crackle, crackle I feel crackle, like yeah, to this. Totally. There we go. Um, Higgy well, Adrian, and crackle. Yeah, exactly. So for our listeners who are not familiar with you and your work, will you give us just to set off the like 10 second overview? Who are you today? Like if you were introducing yourself at a cocktail party, you got one, you got one or two sentences. Who are you? How do you show up in the world? Yeah, my name's Adrian Grenier, and I have completely redesigned my life to be living closer to nature and family and community. All right. Ooh, that was good. That was very succinct. I feel like you've done that before. (laughs) Yeah. So clearly, my guess is that you set out as a young child. You had a vision very early on for being somebody who would, several decades later, introduce yourself that way, right? Um. Yeah, of course. That was my plan the whole time. <laughs> it was. I just had to learn the language. And and also, you know, you're talking earlier about language, right? Like h- how people communicate about their stories is so important. And for a while, I was actually um, very much into linguistics hmm. as just a, a, an overall concept. Just the idea that we're shaped by the words that we, mm-hmm. that we know, that we're taught. And not only is it uh, a liberating thing where you can communicate and share ideas that are inside you with others, communicate across the abyss between my head and someone else's head, but also the the limitations. Mm. You know, I, I, I only have so many words to express something. And so I've just been, you know, on a journey of trying to figure out how best to express what's inside and also not be limited by whatever I've been conditioned to think I am or to believe that I am or to be languaged into what I am. That's so good. I didn't intend to do this, but we're going to dive in because this is one of my favorite. Okay, I have not fact-checked this, just for everybody to know. Unfortunately, I don't have a fact-checker on this show, so take it with a grain of salt. I am also very interested in linguistics. And I remember this was several years ago. I think it was a Radio Lab episode. I used to be Ooh. such a diehard Radio Lab fan. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> but it really addressed this concept 
kind of the myth of, which I totally feel like I had, right? You have a thought and then you develop language to be able to effectively communicate that thought, but that the thought kind of comes first Hmm. and then you learn language to then communicate it. Hmm. And what this research or thought was saying and proving is that it's actually the opposite. Like we actually get language first and then that language gives us the ability to further develop and then communicate that thought. But that if we don't actually have language for something, our like cognitive ability to really like process and build out that thought internally is actually hindered. That it's not, that it's kind of this whole like chicken or the egg thing. So that, and then, I mean, it goes to kind of support your thought of like why linguistics is so important because if we don't actually have a word or a way to communicate something, it limits our own ability to even believe it, process it, like have a robust thought around it. Yeah. And we're going there, right? Um, I would take it one step further and say that it wasn't, it's not the thought that happens first or the language that happens first. It's the feeling Mm. that is one layer beneath that, that is more authentic and more true and more real than anything. And in fact, I've been like pseudo-intellectually trying to, you know, prove myself my whole life and what what is truth. And I fancy myself smart enough to be able to rhetorically dance around people. And I thought that I was smart and I thought I knew things and I thought I understood facts. But then I realized that all of that was just a representation or a projection of what's really deep down inside, which is feelings and, and heart and intuition. So is this a yes and? I think this might be a yes and. I'd say, yes, there's those feelings that are like that initial just somatic experience of truth and and isness. And then layered up from that, would it be the awareness of that, which is like sort of an objectification, like one dimension of awareness and self-reflection. And then the the language has to come in order to describe it Mm. and then tell it to others. Hmm. I would say that the language part, though, is the most deceiving. It's useful. It's a tool so that we can, can you know, talk to, get to, to each other and, and collaborate and co-create uh, or get on the same page or at least close to the same page as close as possible. But really, it's, 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 not, it doesn't, it's not true. It's like I, I think that it's almost more deceiving than anything. Hmm. The language aspect of it. That we get uh, more may- tripped up in trying to put words to things? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe we get too seduced by the language when the language mm. is, like the map is not the territory. The language is just the map that we ultimately have to put aside to get into the depth of what really truly is. And and that being said, I think stories and language is, is how we convey meaning, is how we how we compress the, in, like the infinite, nature of experience into something that we can take with us and share, fold in our pocket and, you know, utilize for later. So we, we, we just started right out with a full on. <laughs> we did. I meant to. Uh, pontification. <laughs> I meant to ask you about your childhood, but then here we are. Well, no, you did. You asked me about my childhood and I was like, okay, I've been planning this, this language. True. I've been planning to language my experience my whole life. And I've grown up to find all different ways to communicate the mm. thing that, you know, is just impossible to express, which is just that love that I had as a child, that 
like like that drive that com- like that need to be connected with family and community and nature. Mm-hmm. But I had to go the circuitous route to get back to this. Okay, this is good because what I feel like you did, even in your like cocktail party introduction, you didn't go to the what or the how of your life so much as kind of the why, right? And I think that's a really powerful example as we are building lives of purpose and passion. I think so often, especially in American culture, it comes down to, yeah, but how do you do it? Like, what's your job? What's your vocation? What are the logistics? And and we let the how kind of define who we are versus living in a space of going like, hey, my, this is my reason for being. And in some seasons, it's going to, I'm going to, that's going to manifest as being an actor. And in other seasons, that's going to manifest as being a homesteader. And in another season, that's going to, you know, there's these different kind of roles that are guiding us, but really giving ourselves kind of the freedom and flexibility of allowing the how and the what and how we're living this thing out to like change and to grow over time and to not have like such a such a stronghold on it. But since you gave us a spoiler alert and you told us that the road was a little bit twisty, I would love if you would take us back there a little bit. Will you give us kind of take us back to maybe kind of like grade school, middle school, high school? How did you think that this interest that you had in communication would play out in your life if you did at the time? And what was kind of your next step or path? Oh, man. Um, well, you know, as a youngster, I always felt more comfortable in theater, in playtime, mm-hmm. in pretending. And, you know, I attribute that to a few things. Like, one, firstly, I didn't grow up with my father. And this is this is the story I'm telling, and it, se- it seems like it makes sense uh, in, in the most cliche gendered Mm -hmm. way but i didn't have that masculine adult figure to Mm -hmm. teach me how to be rough and tumble Mm -hmm. to be play sports to stand up for myself in the schoolyard so i got picked on a lot i Mm -hmm. i I felt very um you know very meek and and shy and delicate and you know my mother in many ways like cultivated that she Mm -hmm. protected me and she made me uh, by the way only child, single mother. So it was like oh, just wow. us, okay. just yep. me and my mom. Yep. That's a dynamic. Yeah. And yeah. so I had, I had, I found a respite in theater and acting mm-hmm. because not only um, did they care about my feelings and they weren't trying to roughhouse, but they were also um, allowing me to put on different roles and play out different ideas. And, um, that made me feel powerful so I could be who I wanted, be how I wanted um, without consequence. (laughs) And I took that uh, to the farthest (laughs) possible end of that, um, of that. Yes. So did you start acting in like early, early childhood? Yeah. So um, didn't make sports team or that's not true. In, In those days, everybody made the sports team. Everybody got a trophy but I never actually got to play because I would they would just bench me because I just wasn't that good. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really excel in that. But the after school theater program, where I was welcomed and accepted, and mm. in, in my feelings were nurtured, that's where I really started to do well. And I was going to after school for many years, um, and then I ended up going to LaGuardia High School, which is the music and art and 
performing arts public school in Manhattan. So that's when I guess I started to really start to formalize my my acting skills. And um, I never really wanted to be an actor, to be honest. I was more into filmmaking, more okay. into the voyeurism and the storytelling. And But, you know, frankly, you make more money if you're acting. So that's what I ended up doing. So I have a question. It sounds like your kind of perspective and your narrative, and correct me if I'm wrong, if like in what I heard you say, it sounded a little bit like because of this deficit, whether it was in me and my athletic ability, whether it was in my mom and how she kind of like raised me in my lack of a father figure, but it kind of feels like I'm sensing a little bit of almost like plan B in your language of like, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda, if I would have been more athletic or I would have had a dad or my mom would have encouraged me, I would have gone into sports. But instead, been a pitcher. here was this, here was this <laughs> other, here was this plan B. And turns out plan B ended up, you know, like having meaning and and it was okay. Are, is that more reflective of how you felt as a kid of like, I wish I could play sports, but I can't. So I'll go do this theater thing. Or is that actually still a part of your narrative of like, the only reason I didn't pursue this other path was because I didn't have this, this, and this. And, and this was kind of the like, the secondary option for me. Hmm. You know, life is hard. I find life to be quite challenging yeah. in that you have all these expectations and things you want and it doesn't ever work out that way. And so you just have to go with it, roll with it, flow with it. But I think even, you know, one step before that, it, it was before sports, before, you know, schoolyard playgrounds. I was a little kid who was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I remember distinctly playing in the mesas and like out in the desert and seeing the beautiful landscapes and just feeling very connected to the expanse of nature. And then when my mom decided that she she was running and escaping from whatever she was, mm -hmm. her plan B was, let me get the fuck out of Dodge, which was her hometown, New Mexico, and go to the city where there were more opportunities. And she was running from her past in some ways. And she plucked me up from nature and brought me to the Big Apple. And mm -hmm. suddenly I'm now not forced, but I, you know, need to survive that yeah. environment. So everything's a plan B. I mean, what's our plan A? Like you ever get it? No. So you're always having to surrender to what is. And I guess the question is if, if you start to attach yourself so much to a plan A or a projection or a thought or the languaging of a certain ambition you know, it's going to be suffering the whole time. So mm -hmm. I'm trying not to be attached to any of that anymore. And even even my sales pitch about being in nature and closer to family and all that bullshit, I mean, that's that's just what I say on podcasts. <laughs> I mean, frankly, like I, the real deal is I'm struggling with this plan. I'm in nature. I've become mm -hmm. a homesteader, a mm -hmm. pseudo farmer, and I'm fucking utterly failing every day <laughs> because I, oh. I've never done this before. Yeah, totally. Well, one, that's so good. I really, really appreciate you 
only a few minutes in, letting us in to the real story of how things are working out. And I'm really <laughs> excited to dive into more because as you know, the whole the whole point of this show is to kind of demystify these roads and these places of purpose and passion and impact because so many people believe that if they're in a season, like it sounds like you are right now, where you're like, well, great, bright idea and things are really hard <laughs> and it doesn't seem to be working out in the way that I thought it would so often, if we don't have these stories and narratives, and if that's not normalized, right, the immediate thing that we do is a shame narrative of like, this is hard because I suck. This is hard because I made the wrong decision versus this is hard because starting new things and discovering and evolving and pitterating and being a human is really hard. And so I really, I really appreciate that. I'd love to circle back before we get to Farmer Adrian. I would love to circle back. So you did, so you studied you went to a kind of specialized high school and then tell us about, will you kind of tell us about your path beyond high school? Did you go and did you study acting and tell us about kind of your professional pursuit of that first season of your vocation? Yeah. Um, in high school and, and even before that, uh, there were a lot of um, scouts, I guess, who were wanting to make me into a, a model or like a actor and I was always so rebellious against that. Mm. I had a lot of opportunities that I um, squandered or avoided. I wanted to be in bands. I mean, just wanted to like play music with the guys and go on tour. And you know, Nirvana was cool at the time. And uh, and then eventually, I didn't have any viable skills because I was also a dropout, college dropout. Mm. So eventually. I took whatever talent I had, whatever education I had in acting and really started to apply myself in just in order to make money because I just didn't want to wait tables anymore and uh, wanted to do something, frankly, that was a lot less stressful and I could be, it was a little bit more lucrative. And the, the moment I applied myself, I started to get jobs. And, um, you know, I'm blessed for that. but. Um, it, it wasn't that I just now suddenly found my career. What would happen is I'd make a movie a year. I'd make, I'd do as, just like the bare, bare minimum just to make enough money to then go back to trying to be in a band <laughs> or wow. trying to make films. Okay. Yeah. I literally would make probably a film a year, you know, and, and at the time you'd make 20, 25 grand a film, maybe, you know, indie films. And then I would just live off that. So it was almost like that was your version of waiting tables to get to the next thing. That it's like, I'll do this thing that comes easy, that can pay the bills yeah. so that I can pursue this other passion over here. Yes, yes, yes. I always have done things sort of off the beaten path. Um, and then it wasn't until I was in my late 20s and I was on the same trip. I, I had like $1,000 in my bank account and I was on my way to Cuba, sneaking into Cuba to make a, a documentary about Cuban hip hop. And I was like, okay, I have $1,000. That'll totally get me through Mexico and Cuba. And I'll film. And then when I get home, I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll do another project, another movie or something, make some more money so that I could edit it. Right? So it's like always just hand to mouth for art. And then while I was in Mexico, I got an email about this show called Entourage that I'd be perfect for, blah, 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 blah. 
totally like internet cafe, you know, one, one finger <laughs> typing on the, on the computer. And, um, and I, and I basically ignored it. And I was like saying, no, I can't do it. I'm busy. I'm going to Cuba, blah, blah, blah. And my agent basically told me, he's like, look, you're going to have to find yourself a new, new representation because you keep blowing off all these auditions and you must not really wow. want this. Yeah. And these guys, they make a percentage of what you do. And right. I was basically doing one gig a, a year for nothing. Yeah. And so, you know, I saw reason. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll go. And um, I had my agent send me a plane ticket because I couldn't afford to get to, to LA. And I had to stay on his couch and I got the part and it was, it, it wasn't a one and done. I had a contract for six years. From the so get-go, it was a six-year oh, yeah, yeah. contract? Oh, yeah. They don't want you to do one season and the show gets successful and then you you dip. They want to make sure that they can continue to double down on the success of the show. It's their option, right? They get the right, right to re-up. You don't get to force them to make it's the show. It's not a guaranteed but, six years of work, right. but it's like, I'm signing up. Should you choose to be available to do this for the next six years of my life? Exactly. Exactly. Which... You know, so of course I had to sign before I even found out that I got the part. And so once, once they gave me the role, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm now I'm, now I have to be successful in this career. I have to make more money. I have to do, do this life. That's so interesting because I feel like from the outside, so like, I feel like our narrative around your big break is not what this story is. It's like my quote unquote big break was actually something that I was like, I guess I'll do this because what I really actually want to do hasn't worked out for me so far. And so like, what are my other options? Is that like accurate that you're like, well, I don't have any other better offers. So I guess I'll sign up for a six year contract to do this show. Yeah. I mean, there was a certain reluctance in me to, to go do the thing that I was good at. Where do you think? I don't know why. Okay, you just said you don't know why, but I'll pause and then I'll ask you again. And then if you still don't know why, that's fine. But where? what do you think that is? Like, here's this thing that I have a, a general enough natural affinity for. I seem to not have to try very hard. And it seems like I can drive value in a way that I can get work. What was it? Like, what was it missing for you to keep you from going like, this is it. I'm going all in. Um, I'm, 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 I'm working on this answer. I, I, I don't know, but there's something around the a sort of a, a mistrust or um, being leery mm. of what it means to make it as an actor. You know, it's ego based. It's 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 about you and what you look and how you act. And I just I don't feel comfortable being the center like that. I mean, I can allow myself to be comfortable mm-hmm. in it, mm-hmm. um, but. It's not how I prefer. And there's something about it that's that feels dirty or something. I don't know. It just doesn't, I don't like the way it feels to to be. I mean, and then you look at Instagram and everybody's doing that. Everybody's. Right. Look, you know, everybody, there's this narcissism that it goes a, a, along with that success. And everybody's trying to sell you their image or sell you something through their image. And And I think there's something about being in nature in which it's, Nature is somehow indifferent. It doesn't target you. It doesn't speak directly to you or your ego. You're sort of on the same playing field with all of nature that I I find to be comforting. I don't know. I'm making it up right now, but 
<laughs> We're going with it. You heard it here first. So you, okay, so you sign up and do you do, was it a full, did you fulfill the whole six years? Did that put you on like a six-year path? And was that conceivably like, that was it. That was your life. That was kind of the all-consuming project versus we one did of almost like 10 a years. few things you were doing. 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So you signed up for something that ended up being a decade of your of your life. And when you're in the midst mm-hmm. of it, is that feeling like, oh, this is great. This is who this was what was supposed to happen all along in the path to get me there. I didn't expect it. Or did you continue throughout that decade to really wrestle with these of like not totally feeling like this is your highest purpose? Okay, now I'm starting to understand the answer to the last question. I went deep into it and I and I found the re- the thing that I was leery of. I found the thing that I was suspicious of because the Hollywood lifestyle and success in that realm is so seductive and mm. so indulgent that in order to truly do it, you have to turn a blind eye to all the pitfalls mm. and all the, the dysfunction that it breeds. And, and I did, mm. you know, I did, I, I, I allowed it to, you know, to consume me and, um, you know, I became, I became someone that, that, you know, that, that I wasn't so proud of mm. in the long run. And, um, I mean, it was fun. It was certainly fun and it's all the spoils of capitalism and consumerism and fame and fortune and hedonism. And it's all just, you know, laid out for you. And that's, that's the, that's the reward for doing their bidding, for mm. playing the role, for being the dancing monkey, for telling the stories that they want you to tell, even though they go against your values. Like that is what you get. And it's great. <laughs> wow. So where in the story, where in that kind of part of the journey were you like, this calculus is not working out for me? Like, this isn't, this is not the life that I want. This isn't who I want to become. Was there like a moment? Was it a slow revelation? Tell us about that. Unless you're still in it and you're like, no, I'm just, hedonism for me. I'm I'm a farmer and it's, it's, it's all about the carrots. But I'm guessing at some point there was an evolution beyond that. Yeah. Well, you know, this, this feeling like there's someone watching or there's someone lurking or there's a and the monster under the bed or in the closet, there's this this dread, this pending mm. doom. And I don't know if that's, you know, the death awareness or mortality, but I think it was me being utterly asleep. You know, when you're dreaming and you're like, and you and you kind of have the awareness that you're dreaming, but you're still dreaming. I was totally narked out, dead asleep, mm. not conscious at all Mm. but i had this sense that something was off like what's going on am i in the matrix what's going and then it wasn't until i hit rock bottom as they say which i was smacked out of my slumber and i realized oh man like i (laughs) how long have i been asleep Mm. it's been a long time Mm. and it wasn't just being in hollywood and being seduced by all of that but i realized that there was a a deeper unconsciousness that I had been cultivating since I was very young. And this was really the denial of death, I think, or the denial of pain, the denial of 
the traumas and the experiences that were making me uncomfortable, perhaps from when I moved from New Mexico and had to deal with the city, when I just didn't want to feel anymore. So I allowed myself to just escape into characters, escape into, you know, different projections and life choices. And um, I mean, I think we all do that, making money, you know, playing the game, climbing the ladder, all those things to keep us from the things that are re- that we're really running from. And so it wasn't until I was in my early 40s, which was not too long ago, that I finally realized I wanted more. And I wanted mm. to not live in the moment of indulgence and selfishness, but I wanted to live in a more spiritually aligned place of like infinite communication with the the expanse of like our collective story not just my own story Hmm. so you mentioned rock bottom Mm -hmm. we love rock bottom here will you tell us about not to be masochistic but there's just so much good in and juiciness that we discover about ourselves and in these moments like so often you know we look at other people's lives and we assume that these like moments of change and opportunity and are all in the highlights and kind of in the peaks. The reality is so much of that happens in these really, really painful places. So will you tell us more about what was rock bottom? How did you get there? Tell us all about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel a lot of times, you know, you imagine rock bottom is that final place where you you wake up. (laughs) But I have this image that I was passed the fuck out on rock bottom like face pressed against all the stones. Just like and a still little asleep. bit of drool dribble. Yeah, You'd like, been there for a while. Yeah. I'd been there for like a, a long time. I didn't wake up until I finally um, got my heart broken, essentially. Mm. S- somebody that I loved left me. Mm. And I could, could not have imagined that someone would leave me. Mm. I was so cool. <laughs> I'm Vinny Chase. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Will you tell us more about that? So you're asleep on rock bottom. I'm identifying with this a lot because I just got back from a a big trip. I literally traveled east around the entire globe and I am needing a lot of help right now to sleep. Uh. (laughs) So I'm imagining my, I have a, I have a friend named Ambien right now. And so I'm imagining what I am at about two o'clock in the morning with the help of some ambient, I'm imagining you in that place, just out of consciousness Hmm. to Mm -hmm. the world and to this place and your heart gets broken. How did that, tell us about the wake up. What happened? Why was it, why was it a wake up? Because sometimes we get our heart broken, whether that's in a relationship or something else, and it can actually push us further into sleep, right? Like Mm. we are, it's too painful or it's too overwhelming or we have to defend ourselves or our way of being, and it causes us to kind of even back ourselves further into this place. But it sounds like for you, this pain actually really did create some, that it woke you up. Will you tell us about it? Yeah, and thank God it did, because I'd missed a number of Saturn returns, as they Mm -hmm. say, you know, where I had an opportunity to grow up finally, and I just, eh, I'll catch it on the next time around. And now I'm in my 40s. I'm still single. I, I fancy myself polyamorous. So I'm like really doubling down on a non-committal lifestyle, an indulgent lifestyle. And um, 
yeah, I, you know, my, my girlfriend decided that she thought that I was a really terrible person and that I was really hurtful and abusive and she left and she casually slid a list of things that I could probably use a look at. Wow. And I loved her and I said, you know what? Like this, this woman knows me. Mm. She knows me. And so, and I love her. So she probably take a good look at it, but it took me some time and you know, it took me, I, in order for me to really truly uh, investigate those ideas, honestly, mm. I had to first cleanse or clear all the things that I believed in myself that were keeping me from seeing a different perspective. So it was purge time. It was, you know, abnegation and just doing without for a long time, doing without escape. Drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, materialism, parties, travel, work. Uh, you know, even work was an escape. Every, mm -hmm. it's, I didn't even, I wasn't even making my own choices. You know, a job mm -hmm. would come mm -hmm. and it would be like, oh, I have to do it. It's paying me how much? Of course I have to do it. We're in a capitalist world. Like money talks. Like you do what pays you. I wasn't even choosing to do it. I didn't even necessarily want to do it. And then it would take me to another place and I'd have another... I'd have to reorient myself with a whole new team, a whole new family. And it was very disorienting and constantly keeping me going, going, going. And I didn't have a chance to sit and just be with what is and listen and start to go deeper in myself. Hmm. And um, and so once I eliminated, it was like a, an elimination diet. Once I eliminated all those things, Ooh, <laughs> suddenly all the stuff that you've been running from or avoiding or burying or numbing out from comes up. That's why, that's why meditation is so important because it gives you a chance to quiet the mind so that all the things that you're you know, not, not aware of show up. And it gives you a chance to you know, meet yourself, face yourself, and for the first time in my life, make a choice, decide who do I really want to be? Mm -hmm. So what, if you can remember, what was generally the length of time? Tell us about, so we know that we have our reactions to things, right? Like how we react to something, we actually don't have that much control over. It's like a physiological, does this scare me? Am I excited? Am I scared? Am I nervous? All of the things, our body reacts to things we don't always have control over that. Our heart rate, our sweating, our face is flushing, and the story we immediately kind of start telling ourselves. And then we have our response, which is obviously when our like frontal cortex kicks in. And it's not just like kind of this fight, flight, fear. I just learned another one. Fight, flight, um, freeze. freeze. No, but uh, and fawn. So there's a fourth fawn. one that I thought was really interesting, kind of fawning. Mm -hmm to get back into good graces or to repair. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But will you tell us a little bit about the time for you in this specific, we're going to call this a pluck up, this specific moment of heartbreak, of challenge, of pain. Will you tell us about the time in between your initial reaction? Like I imagine getting a letter from somebody that you love deeply and respect that details out all of the things that are wrong about you or hurtful or painful or, you know, why you're essentially not 
going to be loved in the same capacity by this person, it's very painful. And I think would probably, my guess is you'd have a strong reaction to that. And you've clearly moved through it and decided to use that in your response to that being less defensive and more open and curious about maybe this person can see something that I can't and using it as a catalyst of change. But I'm guessing that wasn't like in 30 seconds, your response. Like, Mm -mm, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing you didn't get this letter and we're like, great point, Suzanne. I'm really going to take that to heart. (laughs) So will you like, will you tell us a little bit more about, about that transition from your reaction to your response to that? Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you first have to truly die, like fully mm-hmm. die, let go of the all the habits and the patterns, the years, the decades of habits that you've cultivated to protect you, to keep you safe, to make you feel, you know, powerful, and that's that in uh, in and of itself is hard. Mm. Forget about starting to now rebuild the character, your your character. It is in many ways like an acting exercise. You know, you're mm-hmm. learning to, to to walk again, to be new, to 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 try on a different clothes, different um, ways of being that are unfamiliar. And so, it took me a good at least six months to just consider doing all this stuff. Okay, right? Like I mean, I had the list. And I was like, hey, thanks for the list, babe. I don't think you know what you're fucking talking about, but. I'll have a look in my time when I'm ready. And man, those in the list was tough. Like it was like mm. things that I really enjoyed. Mm. She was calling in the question. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to give that up. And oh, mm. what about that? That that That's going to be hard to give up. So it took me some time to just sort of devise a plan and also bring in the right support system. Mm-hmm. Not only stop hanging out with the system, the people that were, dragging me down or holding me back or that were invested in my my way of life, my lifestyle that they benefited from um, and did not want me to change, but also bringing in the allies, the people who I felt could support me. Mm. When I was deep in resistance, could they remind me of good. what direction I'm going? Did you rely on that support system? Because I think... There's something to be said for filtering out, you know, it's like on the one hand you hear all over Instagram, other people's opinions are none of your business. Like, I feel like there is this general cultural thought of just like you be you. And if people have a problem with it, that's on them. And I get, I think that that is so good and right in a certain way, right? Like to be like the true authentic parts of who you are. If there are people that can't, that don't want that, that aren't interested in that. Like you don't, don't spend your entire life placating to other people or you'll wake up one day and like not know who who am I and what really brings me to life. And also that makes me a little bit nervous because I'm like, that also sounds like how we make sociopaths of just like be disconnected mm-hmm. from how you impact people. But it feels like we can err as people on one side of the spectrum or the other? Am I giving all of my power away to other people to tell me who I am? So let's use you in this example of like, I get a list of here's the 30 things that suck about Adrian. Feels like the two things, two extremes you could do with that are one, say, F that, none of that's true. I am who I am. If you don't like it, good riddance. The other is to, without questioning or self-examination, immediately take on 
here are the 30 ways in which I'm a failure or I'm not okay or right. And I'm wondering how you, it sounds like there was probably a level of discrimination. Like, did you walk away being like, okay, actually these things, she was right. And that isn't who I want to be. And maybe there are a handful of things that were like, actually that, as my therapist would say, like even in, you know, like thinking about hard things in your marriage of like asking the genuine question of like, is this a me thing or is this actually a you thing? But that being a really legitimate question of Mm -hmm. like, do you have some like woundedness that you're like putting on me that like, this isn't, that's actually not my thing. How did you discern? (laughs) Did you, was that a discerning process of like, what 30 of these things are you going to take on as your own and use to be the catalyst to this next season? And if so, how did you do that? And what was your process for like teasing that out? Yeah. I mean, we humans just want, you know, the simplest answer and just be done with it. Right. But the world is complex. I mean, we are complex beings unto ourselves and then we're further complicated by our relationships to each other and the psychology that we're projecting unconsciously and then it's coming back. I mean, I don't think we can find the one right answer, like don't care what people say and then also care too much. I mean, you have to find that balance and it depends. Are you are you on a growth trajectory? I mean, I'm not, currently I'm not in a growth trajectory, to be honest. Hmm. I've done the work for the past multiple years. Now I'm just embodying that work hmm. and trying to live it and cultivate the things that I've you know discovered and new ways of being and, and learning how to be a farmer, learning learning how to actually do that as opposed to to unlearning my past behaviors. And so I'm I'm not l- trying to I'm not on a state a, a place of self discovery, but at the time. I had to, in order to grow, I had to take what she was saying very seriously and recognize that I did not have the self-awareness on myself Mm. to get myself out of the place that I was at. So I was really much relying on how people were responding to me. And that was, there there was a sensitivity and awareness and uh, a sentience that I did not have. Mm. Because I was so up my own ass, so in my ego, so believing my own mythology that I didn't have to change. And it didn't matter what I did because I was always right. Didn't mm-hmm. matter who I hurt or how, because it, I didn't feel them. Because I was, I was like in that state where I can do no wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Look at me. I have all the stuff. So I must be doing something right. And you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And if you don't like it, I'll just find someone else who will tell mm-hmm. me what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so I did have to go through a, the painful process of letting go of what I knew to be true for the uncertainty and really like almost just feeling around in the dark for, am I going in the right direction? Hello, can you know, I just give me a clue. Am I going, oh, follow the voice over here? Okay, so those people that I brought in to guide me that I thought had done a certain amount of work or I believed were on a path that I wanted to emulate, I was listening to them. I was listening to my ex and I was listening um, to my advisors and I was starting to cultivate the inner voice within me that kept me, like that intuition that would then ultimately take over and allow myself to 
now walk as an evolved adult man. But that took a long time to develop mm -hmm. my own intuition, my own, because I would still like every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, don't worry. Like, I, I got it. I, I evolved already. And then I'd go out mm -hmm. in the real world and I'd, I'd totally fuck up and I'd stumble right back into old habits. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, I get it in my head. I understand it intellectually, but it wasn't in my body. It wasn't, I didn't feel it. So I had to unlock parts of myself, that, the feeling parts of my intuition and my heart and my somatic body that had been suppressed or locked away because I was so afraid to feel and start to unlock that feeling. Remember I was saying before, like feeling is truth. Mm -hmm. Feeling is like the most real thing you can experience. It's not the thoughts or the ideas of the, the feeling. And so I had to unlock those feelings so that my intuition could come online again so that I could start making those choices because my body was telling me, don't touch that. It's hot. You'll burn yourself. You know, or, oh, I'm starting to make those same choices that are going to end badly. So I should maybe walk in a different path. And it mm -hmm. took me a long time to develop that awareness and that, um, you know, that relationship to myself and my own ability to take care, to do the right thing mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to rely on others to tell me or to guide me at the time, you know, that was where I was at. Yeah, I do love like, and you've, you kind of spoke about this in your 10 second overview, but your passion around community specifically. And I feel like I heard a little bit of that. Like there was almost some like cross-checking that seemed like it happened between, okay, here's this one voice, this list of things that you got from this one person. And I think that that's one of the things to me that I feel, I just believe so deeply that having your trusted advisors and having folks who are invested in you and who know you in varying capacities actually makes us so much better versions of ourselves, but even in specific relationships when we can kind of do that cross-checking, you know, like when my partner can come to me and say, this is a, I am struggling with this part of who you are, having a core group of friends that I can go out to and say like, I'm not sure, is this a him thing? Is this a me mm -hmm, thing? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. can you, and it's so vulnerable and it's so hard to open yourself up to that, but saying like, hey, I got this negative feedback and I'm trying to parse through it and I'm curious, like, do you experience me like this? And mm -hmm. give me, I need a couple more data points. And then I think vice versa, right? Like it's so easy, especially, it's easy to get certain levels of praise from people that don't really know you, you know? And so it's like, I think even cross-checking that, like, okay, I'm out in the world and I'm getting some sort of like praise for being this, this, or that. And then going back to my people, my best friends, my community members, my kids, my husband, and being like, curious, do you experience me in this way? Like, are you this way that I'm showing up in the world that seems to be so lovable and valuable? Am I, mm. am I giving you my best? Like, or, and, mm -hmm. and like, so on both sides, like the hard parts of you, but also the things that people feel really drawn to and having like a little matrix that you can go back and kind of like totally. cross check those things with. Yeah, and we're living on multiple layers, multiple dimensions, you know, are and and so I mean ch check this out like it, 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 so long story short, I went through this major personal transformation. I stepped into my mature 
spiritually aligned adult masculine. And I ended up going back and reaching out to my ex and I ended up winning her back. And um, you're going to drop, we got three minutes left in the interview and that, and you're just going to oh. drop, you're going to drop that at the very end. <laughs> First of all, you introduced some multidimensional string theory casually. And now the story ends with you got back together and we don't even have enough time to dissect. No, I'm just kidding. You I'm definitely don't that. have enough time for that. That's that story. That's a whole nother chapter. Um, and it took me some time to, to mm. prove to her because I was the one that had hurt her. I'm the one who she left because I was so, so, um, toxic right and so now we're back together in fact we got married showing oh congratulations ring. yeah i did and not think doing... that this is how the story was gonna end this is great i love a good pivot yeah <laughs> love a good plot twist and i highly recommend getting back with your ex mm, this is my okay. this is my uh okay i know it's 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 this is not common <laughs> advice but if you can become the person that you, your ex would welcome back or would not have left in the first place, then you're, then you're evolving and you're growing. A lot of times people get back with their ex without doing the change, without making the changes. Or they get into another relationship not having made the changes and then repeating mm -hmm. the same patterns. I had really truly made those changes. But the weird thing is, now I'm back in this relationship and I'm a totally different person, like literally 180, like just a new human. And I, and I'm proud to say that don't have the same habits and patterns. I'm, I'm like on a different path. I'm mm. a fucking, you know, novice farmer over here, but my face is relatively the same. Mm -hmm. So now sometimes my wife is triggered oh, by yeah. past experiences that she had of, with me. And she goes, you did this. Mm -hmm. You did this, right? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> me on a different timeline did this. A different version of me did the thing that you're being triggered by. But it's not me. Me standing here before you is your protector, your lover, your support system. I, I would never do anything to hurt you. Like, truly. And so it's a tricky thing because now not only do we have to get a check on is this experience that I'm having in this moment me or a projection of me or what yeah. other people are thinking of me, the outside world versus my family world, but also like past timelines are now present in, in the world as well. And that's such a beautiful opportunity for me to be there with her and love her as those traumas that I was you yeah. know, part of. Yeah. I can be there for her to, to release them so that they're not part of our current experience and our future experience mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, our future family. Yeah. Which does require a level of like healthy distance between yourself, like to be able to, that's a tender thing to be able to hold. I can sit with you in this pain that I know I caused, but mm -hmm. that this past version of myself caused. I have very vivid dreams. And when I have a dream and in my dream, it's usually my husband. If he does something in my dream, it like literally <laughs> impacts me. You think he actually did it. <laughs> it's even though I cognitively know when I wake up, that thing didn't happen. My like emotional response to him 
And he'll literally be like, did we, did tell me what happened last night? You know, and it's like, I have to like work through it. That's and funny. obviously that's, that that's obviously different. But no, but it's, it's, I don't think it is. I mean, it, not to harp on this, but I do, I do believe that we do live multiple lives with each other. You know, we do repeat and, and, and being here in this meat suit is an opportunity for us to try on and learn and evolve spiritually. So I believe that I've had many past lives with my wife, but we don't have to wait till we die in the skin and then be reborn. We can do it in this. So mm -hmm. every day is a new opportunity to become a better mm -hmm. version of yourself and then to provide the opportunity to allow your partner to heal from the shit you did yesterday mm -hmm. or in your dream. Mm -hmm. Like it's all just part of the projection, like talk, talking about words and, you know, representations like this whole existence is a representation that we get to experience just to heal the, the spirits in us that are actually pure light i'm living closer to nature i'm learning how to um work the land and be uh yeah i guess a, a, a farmer homesteader just somebody who's more aligned with the natural world and so i started a channel called earth speed where I invite people on to take that journey with me and hopefully invite people to to do it themselves, to try it themselves, because I think there's a lot of wisdom that we can draw from nature. And the design, we could design ourselves around how nature is, and I think we'll live a, a more fulfilled, abundant experience. Mm, I love that. And I personally love, even with how you described yourself, of being, being in the thick of it and being a beginner. To me, I think there's something actually really powerful and empowering and inspiring about learning more from beginners who are in it and who are figuring it out than from experts, which sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. So excited for everyone in our I community have to check it out. Incredible mentors who are farmers and homesteaders and they're they've taken me under their wing and it feels really good to be held like that from adult mentors. Mm, that's powerful. Awesome. Well thank you so much for being here on the show, for sharing your story and not just the shiny great highlights, but really some of those darker, more challenging moments that truly ended obviously in kind of propelling you forward and building a beautiful life of purpose, passion, and impact. It was really fun to get to know you a little more. Toodaloo. This podcast was made possible in part by my amazing producers at Human Group Media. For updates and announcements about the show, you can visit me at lizbohannon.co or you can follow both of us on Instagram. I'm at lizbohannon and they're at Human Group Media and we love, love, love hearing from our plucky audience. Well, until next time, stay plucky. Stay plucky.